Good morning. Welcome to our home today. You've been used to seeing Pastor Scott and Yvette's home. This time you're in our place, and this is my office. And this morning I'm blessed and honored to share some thoughts with you. You know, something I've heard a lot of folks saying these past few weeks is, when can we get back to normal? Can't we just go back to normal? Maybe you've said that. I've certainly thought it. In many ways, it feels like it would be good to be able to go back to what's comfortable and familiar. There are a lot of things that I miss, and I'm sure that many of you feel the same way. Personally, I miss having a house full of grandkids on Sundays. The idea of going back to the way it was sounds pretty attractive. I've also heard a number of folks say, it's never going back to how it was. Whatever the new normal will be, It won't be like the old one was. I'm not sure I like that idea very much, but I have a hunch they could be right. The whole idea of moving into something new, something unknown, something unpredictable is hard for most of us. There are always those few folks who just love adventure. They don't seem to mind the unknown quite as much, but for most of us, this is not a comfortable time. Back in mid-April, as I was reading my Bible in the morning and listening for what God might have to say to me, I jotted down some notes in my notebook that were related to the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt. For those of you who aren't familiar with that little bit of Bible history, let me give you a quick overview. The nation of Israel is named after a man who was originally named Jacob, but God changed his name to Israel in a very dramatic encounter. This man, who we still typically refer to as Jacob, ended up moving his entire family to Egypt when a famine made it impossible for him to continue living in the country that today we refer to as Israel. The whole story of Jacob and his son Joseph and the brothers who sold Joseph into slavery and then Joseph's rise to power in Egypt is fascinating. And you can find it in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, from chapters 37 to 50. Now, when Jacob's family first arrives in Egypt, they're treated like guests. They're given the best parts of the land to live in and given complete freedom and independence. However, something interesting happens. As they live in Egypt for a while, their memory of life in Israel starts to fade and life in Egypt becomes normal. By the time they've had children there and their children have raised their families, Egypt is starting to feel pretty comfortable to everybody. Nobody really talks about heading home to Israel anymore. In fact, After a while, the whole idea would start to sound like a bunch of old-timers talking about the good old days back in the old country. The Egyptians, who treated Jacob's family like guests when they first arrived, started to get nervous about the fact that there was this bunch of foreigners who were getting more and more numerous all the time. After a while, they started worrying that the Israelites were eventually going to outnumber them and take over. Their response was to make the Israelites become slaves. Some people have speculated that the Egyptians used Israeli slaves to build several storage cities in Egypt. I don't really know. I'm not an archaeologist. But what we do know is that the Bible tells us that the Israelites were put to work making bricks. They'd take clay and straw, mix it in pits with their feet, and then form it into brick that was dried in the sun. So that's the background for what God had dropped into my heart that morning in April. Here were the Israelites, slaves in Egypt, making bricks. Day after day, year after year, 
grandfathers, sons, grandsons, generation after generation, providing cheap slave labor for Egypt. The story I was reading that morning took place after 400 years of Israel's slavery in Egypt. Now, you know, you'd think that once they started being treated as slaves, they'd pack up and head back to their home country. But they didn't. Somehow, making brick had become normal. It was just what they did. As unpleasant as it might have seemed to an outsider, it was just normal to them. Now, in the Bible story, the book that immediately follows Genesis, where the story of Jacob is found, is the book of Exodus. And that book starts out by introducing us to a guy by the name of Moses. I'm going to skip over a lot of the story because I just don't have time to tell it all. But instead, I'm going to fast forward to the point where Moses has an encounter with God, where God tells him, I'm going to set the Israelites free. I'm going to take them out of Egypt and return them to the land that I promised to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want you, Moses, to go and tell them the good news. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, God says, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard the cry of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. I've come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a land that is both good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Indeed, the cry of the Israelites has come to me, and I have seen how severely the Egyptians oppress them. Now go, and I will send you to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It sounds like good news. After 400 years of oppression and slavery, God's going to set us free. We're going to get a country of our own, and we'll be free at last. When Moses first tells the people about God's promise in chapter 4, verse 3, they're thrilled. They're thankful that God has finally remembered them. Then Moses goes to see Pharaoh, and that doesn't go nearly as well. In fact, Pharaoh's response is to force the slaves to work harder. He stops providing some of their raw material and makes them go find it for themselves, but he refuses to reduce the quota of bricks they have to produce. The people's response in chapter 5 and verse 20 of Exodus is to get mad at Moses. If you wouldn't have showed up, we wouldn't be in this trouble. Already, they were starting to wish that things would just get back to normal. They do eventually leave Egypt. Moses ends up leading somewhere around 2 million people in a march out of Egypt on their way to the country that God promised to give them. And if you read the story in Exodus chapter 13 and 14, you find out that God does an amazing miracle. He quite literally makes a pathway through the Red Sea, and the people march through the sea on dry ground. Pharaoh's army tries to follow them, but once the whole army is on the pathway across the sea bottom, God allows this water to return to normal, and the entire army is drowned. It's an amazing miracle of deliverance. Now, by the way, you might have heard or been taught that Israel didn't cross the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. And God didn't so much make a pathway as they just crossed at a point where the water wasn't very deep. Well, if that's true, then the real miracle is that Pharaoh's entire army, horses, trained soldiers, all their equipment, everything, drowned in six inches of water. Israel was free. 
They'd been delivered from slavery in Egypt, and they were on their way to the place that God had promised them. You'd think they'd be thankful. Chapter 16. Two and a half months later, just ten weeks. Let me read it to you. It's in chapter 16 and verse 3. Here's what the people are saying. If only God would have let us die in the land of Egypt. There we sat by the pots of meat. We ate bread to the full. You've brought us out into this desert to kill us all with hunger. You know what they wanted? They wanted to get back to normal. Now, I don't think I've ever quite understood their reaction until now. Because we're at about the two-month mark in our response to the COVID virus, which is just about as long as the Israelites were out of Egypt and in the desert. There's not much to do in a desert, and there's not much to see. You can walk all day, set up your tent at night, and in the morning, it doesn't look much different than it did yesterday, or the day before that, or the day before that. Something I've noticed in this whole COVID thing is that For some people, spare time is kind of boring. I wonder if we're a bit like the Israelites. They'd forgotten about the bricks and the whips when they didn't work hard enough. What they remembered was the food. Apparently, the Egyptians were well aware that if you wanted slaves to work hard, you had to feed them well. In our desire to get back to normal, I wonder if we've already started to forget the mad rush that so many of us lived in ten weeks ago. There was never time for anything. Now, we're bored. Odd how that happens, isn't it? And I'm going to dig into this a bit more next week, and I'll start with looking at the desert experiences in the Bible. Deserts have an interesting role in God's Word. But for today... I want to just keep with this story because there's a lesson to be had here. After their complaints about having nothing to eat, God gives them daily miracles of provision. Bread appears on the ground each morning, and quail fly through the camp at night. There's no lack of food anymore. For two years, God keeps the people in the desert, providing for them miraculously while he teaches them who they are as a nation. God speaks to them about their identity, their customs, their laws, and their purpose. And then God is ready to bring them into the land he promised them. Moses takes 12 men and gives them a mission. Go into the land, spy it out, and bring us back a report. What's the land like? Is it as beautiful and as fertile as God promised it would be? The spies sneak around the land and bring back their report. It's in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. They say, the land is an amazing place. It truly flows with milk and honey, like God said. You know, they'd even carried back a cluster of grapes that was so big, they had to carry it on a stick between two men. But, they said, there are giants in the land. There are people so big and so strong that we felt like grasshoppers next to them. There is no way we can take this land. We'll get killed for sure. And here we go again. Numbers chapter 14. Then the entire community raised a loud cry and the people wept all night. And the Israelites murmured against Aaron and Moses and the whole congregation said to them, 
If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had perished in this wilderness. Why has God brought us into this land, only to be killed by the sword, that our wives and our children should become plunder? Wouldn't it have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. We want to go back to normal. Eventually they do head into the promised land, but it takes 40 years for God to bring them to the point where almost everybody who remembers Egypt has passed away and the children have become adults. It's at this point that God begins to teach them a new way of living. God says to them, you've never come this way before. You know the desert fairly well, but you don't know this new place at all. You're going to have to follow me carefully if you're going to move forward. I think that for many of us, that's where we are at today. There is no normal. There's the memory of what was once routine and familiar, even if it was exhausting sometimes. But as it stands today, there is no normal. At least, we don't have any idea what normal is supposed to be. We've never been this way before. Now, as I said, next week I'm going to dig a little deeper into the lessons that God wants to teach us when he moves us out of what was comfortable and familiar and into that uncomfortable awkwardness of what's new. Now, am I saying that God sent COVID to teach us something? No, I am not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that God will use whatever is intended to harm us and turn it for our good. And that's Romans 8.28, by the way. For this week, here's a few thoughts I hope will bring you some sense of purpose in everything we're going through. Number one, normal isn't necessarily best. We need to be willing to challenge the idea that how things used to be is the same as how things ought to be. Is it possible that God would use this global crisis to shift things around so that the new normal we live in once this is all over is much closer to how things ought to be than the way that things were before? Is it possible that the way we used to live, the way we used to work, the way we used to do church wasn't the best way? Number two, God moves us out of normal to deliver us from the things that hold us back from our destiny. We don't have to be worried because we don't know what the future holds. God is well aware of what the future holds, and he's promised that if we'll follow him, he'll show us the way to go. Sometimes God has to shake us out of what's normal in order to move us toward what's actually best. Number three, when we long for things to go back to normal, we're actually wanting to go back to the place we used to complain about. What we're effectively doing is trying to head back to the place that God is trying to take us out of and making it hard to move ahead to the place where God wants us to go. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's verse 10, that tells us that one of the things that God really struggles with is our tendency to complain when we can't see where he's taking us and when we can't believe that it's a better place than the one we had to leave behind. 
Like Israel forgot the bricks and whips, number four, we forget the struggle we had in the old normal. The struggle of change is hard, but the struggle of staying the same is sometimes worse. One of the things that I've learned as a counselor is that it's often true that people don't grow until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of growing. Most of us don't like change. We like the familiarity of the old much more than the promise of the new. And our memories tend to filter out the hardships and overemphasize the pleasant things. Many years ago, my father and his brothers were reminiscing about some of their experiences during the Second World War when they lived in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. It was a city that was very hard hit by the war. One of them said something like, Do you remember the soup that mom used to make? Another one talked about her ability to always find something to make for dessert. My grandmother weighed in and said, You mean the potato peel soup that sometimes had a few bits of bacon rind in it? And the twice-used coffee grounds mixed with a bit of sugar that I made once in a while for dessert? You know, at that point in the early 70s, only 30-odd years after the war had ended, their memories had already erased many of the negatives and accentuated the positives. Israel had forgotten the bricks and the whips. They'd forgotten the harsh taskmasters. They'd forgotten the misery. All they remembered was the food. And I suspect their memories weren't much better than my dad's and his brother's memories were. Number five. Normal wasn't as fruitful as we might remember it. That's especially true for us as a church. Church was fruitful, don't get me wrong, but if you read the first few chapters of the book of Acts, where 3,000 got saved on the first day and within about a week another 5,000 were added, there aren't too many churches that measure up to that growth record. I'm not being critical. I'm simply suggesting that looking forward is better than looking back. Number six. God's new way may be uncomfortable, unpredictable, and unfamiliar, but it will take us into a place of fruitfulness. The sense of difficulty and awkwardness that many of us feel is real. For example, I've never done this before, preaching to a camera. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to speak to a crowd of people where you can get some sense that they're tracking with you, that what you're saying is making a difference. But on the other hand, for the last five weeks, we've had more people watching our online services than we can fit into our building. We've been growing every week. There are weeks where we've had more than 500 people connect with our service. We've never been this way before, but God is blessing us in ways that we couldn't have understood before. If you're one who's really struggling with the uncertainty of what tomorrow might bring and longing for things to get back to a place where life is comfortable and familiar, I want to pray for you this morning. God, I want to pray for each person watching today. Some of us have really struggled, Lord, with the changes that we've been forced to accept. Some of us might even have been mad at you for not letting us stay in the place that felt so normal. 
And today, God, I want to ask for three things. First, I want to ask that you'd forgive us for our reluctance to let go. We know that it's hard for you to put something new into our hands if we won't first let go of the things we were holding on to so tightly. Second, I want to pray that you'd help us to stop looking backward and start looking forward. Help us to turn around, to face into this wind, and to stop being fearful of what might be ahead. Third, I want to pray that you'd open our eyes to see what you're doing. We've never come this way before. We've never been in a situation like this before, and we need to see that you are leading us. You know, you might be listening this morning and you'd say, Pastor Ron, I don't think I know God well enough to be sure that he will take care of me in the middle of this mess. In fact, God seems kind of far away from me right now. You know, God cares more about you than you can imagine. In a time when we're being careful to be socially distant from each other, God isn't distant at all. He's right there, ready to get involved in your life just as soon as you're ready to invite him. You know, if you're listening to me today and you're ready to invite God to get involved with your life, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment that you can pray with me. The good news for you today is that God sent his son, Jesus, to rescue you from whatever mess you might find yourself in. It doesn't matter whether you've done your best to be good or if you've done some horrible things. God wants to come into your life. The prayer I want to lead you in is on the screen. Why don't you pray it with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. From this day forward, I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you do one more thing? Would you drop us an email? You can send an email to office at victorylifechurch.ca. The address will be on the screen in a few moments. And let us know that you prayed that prayer with me. We'd love to encourage you and help you to get established in your new life with Christ. Thank you, and God bless you, and we'll see you again next week. Well, thank you, Pastor Ron, for that word. Wow. I love the title, and I love the whole premise behind it, Back to Normal. A few things that he said, a number of things that he said stood out to me. But probably the, the, the key thing that stood out to me, that, that hit home for me, is he said we must be ready for a new way of living. And to do this, we must be willing to carefully follow God if we're going to successfully move forward. I have found during this uh, crisis that we're in, that this has been my heart cry. It's been, God, get me ready. Help me to be ready for this new way of living. Because I know things are not going back to normal. They're not going back to the way they once were.
Do we know exactly what that's going to look like? We don't. But our prayer and our heart cry, as Pastor Ron uh, so eloquently put it, we must get ready for this new way of living. I know things are changing. I know things will not go back to normal. So I need His help to help me navigate through these waters. And then I also need God's help to help me lead the church and my family into this new future. Friends, this these are challenging times. But as Pastor Ron mentioned, um, they're challenging times, but wow, our reach has greatly expanded. I kind of like this new normal from that standpoint, that our reach has expanded. And when things return to us being able to gather again, uh, I am in full expectation that our reach will continue to increase exponentially. Uh, Pastor Ron prayed already uh, for you in uh, in those three areas. I, I, I'd written them down here. Uh, he, he prayed um, uh, that we would ask forgiveness for our reluctance to let go, um, to our, our willingness to keep looking backwards. And uh, I hope you received that today. He also prayed that God would help us to stop looking backwards. And then he prayed that uh, God would uh, open our eyes to see what he is doing in our lives, where God is leading us to. Oh, wow, what a great service. Thank you for joining in. Um, and Yvette and I love you and so grateful that you allow us into your homes and into your lives. I hope you have a great afternoon. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you tell somebody uh, about uh, what you just heard and encourage them to tune in. Well, until we see you again, uh, I hope your weekend's going going great. Uh, One more day to go. (laughs) Freedom Monday. Have fun. Love you guys. God bless. Bye for now.